Welcome to Women on Wealth, a podcast by women for women. Our mission is to empower women to embrace the discussion around wealth, demystify finance and market-related topics, and break down the emotions that surround these decisions. Your host is Julina Ogilvie, partner and wealth advisor with Principal Wealth Partners. She's a certified private wealth advisor and a certified investment management analyst with over 20 years of industry experience. Well, welcome everyone to Women on Wealth. And today we have a really unique opportunity to speak to a portfolio manager and get into the mind of how they think around investing in the markets. And so to have this discussion, I have Ivana Delevska, who is founder and CIO of Spear Invest, which she founded back in 2021 after investing for many years in industrial and industrial technology companies. She was at reputable firms such as Deutsche Bank, Gordon Haskett, Millennium, Tiger Management, Citadel, and JP Morgan, is a graduate of the University of Chicago with a BA in economics, and today is the portfolio manager of Spear Alpha ETF with the NASDAQ symbol of SPRX. So Ivana, welcome. Um, And I should also mention you and I were just talking, you are also a mother. (laughs) So I'm delighted. No, I'm delighted to have you. So before we get into your professional role and how you think as a portfolio manager, uh, I, I have to ask your, um, your personal experience and your insight being a female in an industry that is still such, so dominated by men. So can you talk a little bit about your background? Uh, after graduating from University of Chicago, I joined uh, JP Morgan in the M&A group doing uh, basically industrials, uh, materials, and just broader, broader M&A, M&A deals. I really liked that experience. And what I realized is that every time we did a deal, I would look at it from the perspective of an investor and whether that was actually a good deal for investors or, or a bad deal for investors. So my next opportunity and my next role was to do event-driven investing uh, at Davidson Kempner. So that was really my first, uh, my first introduction into the investing world uh, where I focused on investing on event-driven opportunities. So from there, I branched out to just diving deeper into the fundamentals. And I worked on several fundamental strategies at Millennium, Citadel, uh, a Tiger Fund. Uh, And from there, I spent several years on the sell-side publishing research. So I've really spent some time in a lot of different roles at a lot of different firms. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. Did you have mentors to help you along the way? I always have to ask that question. Yeah, I've had many mentors. And, and interestingly, on the investment side, you generally work very closely with a team and, and the, your boss actually ends up being, being your closest mentor and the, and the person you spend the most, uh, the most time with. Unfortunately, not many women mentors. So it's really been a, a very male-dominated uh, industry where I think on the banking side, there were several strong women well-positioned to, to succeed on the fund management side, when I started, this would be like 10, 15 uh, years ago, there were barely, uh, barely any women. So that's really been changing, which is encouraging to see yes. in banks today, like my most recent experience at, at Deutsche Bank, a very different approach to what, what maybe was there 15 uh, years ago when it comes to women and, and how they're being 
uh, perceived and mentored and promoted. So it's really encouraging to see that change, to see the progress going from such a male-dominated industry to um, to a place where like women can succeed. It's been fascinating. Yeah, that's exciting to hear. And was it intimidating during that time? You know, I wouldn't necessarily say that it was intimidating. I think once you get an opportunity, there is really not, at least in my opinion, I've never experienced um, it as being a roadblock. I think the bigger challenge is in getting the opportunity. So I think people are just a lot more cautious when they're doing the hiring and there is all those biases that, that come that come out in the process. Yeah, that's great. And what made you break away and, and create your own firm? So interestingly for me, it was a natural progression. At my latest role at Gordon Haskett, I was publishing research on large cap um, multi-industry companies. And in parallel, I was managing a portfolio of my personal money uh, invested in the ecosystem around industrial technology. So essentially what I did was converted my portfolio into a publicly listed product and I'm planning to use the research as a way to keep people informed. So it, for me, it ended up being a pretty natural progression. Obviously, starting your own business and having your own business is a very different, um, it presents different opportunities and challenges versus working for somebody else. But so far, it's been a, it's been a great experience. Oh, that's great. And what about any hesitancies when you, when you made this leap into your own, into your own business? I mean, the, I encounter challenges on da- daily basis, but there hasn't really been anything that uh, that I would say is is really changing the way I'm looking at the opportunity versus when I when I started. Yep, you you just charge forward. I love it. <laughs> so, so I guess talk a little bit about the you know the ETF in general because I think there are some listeners that are may still be new new to the concept of an ETF versus a mutual fund. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's a very interesting space where ETF by itself represent a, represents a very broad um, opportunity set of, of setups and ideas and investments. So you can have an index ETF, which would track a specific theme or, uh, or a product, right? So, and then you can have active ETFs where they're really not tracking anything. They're just managing an active portfolio of investments. So that's kind of the first distinction I would make. And then within um, actively traded um, ETFs, there is also a very wide, um, wide opportunity set. So where some are closer to mutual funds and some are closer to hedge funds. And the ones that are closer to hedge funds, which would be kind of more similar to, to what we do, um, will generally be a lot more concentrated. So uh, so that's really like the main the main difference. But with that concentration, you, you are bringing a completely different investment process, due diligence process, and risk management process. So uh, it's a very wide field of of ETFs out there, and investors should understand when they're investing what exactly they're getting when when they invest. I think that that's such an important point because ETFs are exchange traded funds, right? For for a very long time, we're always considered passive, low cost relative to a mutual fund that was active and you were paying a higher fee for that active management. And you're, you're hitting it on the head, right? With, with um, kind of within this space, especially in the, in the last, I'd say five or 10 years, you now have ETFs that are active like yours. 
and hopefully yep, absolutely yeah so i think that that's very important to distinguish so so what type of opportunities do do you see going forward so within technology it's been fascinating to see how a lot of the innovation over the previous technology cycle has been focused on the consumer so we've seen a lot of um consumer driven innovation whether it's home delivery whether it's streaming services whether it's social media that's really been like when you look at the big tech winners they've really all been consumer uh based um te- technology companies right so like the netflix of the world the facebooks of the world um amazon as well right so right. as we look into the next technology cycle we think industrial technology or enterprise technology is going to really be the big opportunity and the way this is different than consumer is that it's a lot slower moving so it takes companies a very long time to evaluate the technology to adopt the technology and they're really only going to adopt it if it's a reputable uh, firm that they know it's going to be there for the long term so generally when when companies invest invest in uh improving their technology this is a multi million dollar project right for a company so it's not as easy as uh, flipping the light of a switch right like where you really need to be sure that that this is going to be around forever so it's slower moving but the opportunity set is is really pretty uh pretty fascinating so in your research you look at companies not necessarily in the shorter term in terms of what they can do over the next 6 months or year but you're looking longer term is that fair to say yes absolutely so all of our products are focused on compounding returns over the long term so in markets like this where there is a lot of volatility a lot of downside in many stocks we will generally look to be slowly adding risk throughout the downturn so then when you come out of it you can see some some um some pretty good returns. So we try to manage the risk by increasing our idea generation velocity uh and portfolio turnover, but in general we will not be reducing risk throughout the downturn given that we're focused on long-term compounding. Okay, no that's great. And and in talking about technology, it's interesting to see the the wave of return right now. Obviously the markets this year are down everywhere, but coming out of the pandemic technology did so well right and growth companies did incredibly well and then that kind of flipped in an environment now where we're raising interest rates we're talking about a recession it's it it struggled a little bit more than let's say maybe dividend paying stocks so do you, what's your outlook in terms of these um these companies going forward yeah absolutely basically what we saw during the pandemic is that a lot of the technology companies were able to solve problems that were created by the pandemic so you really saw uh, an, an incredible growth uh in uh, opportunities and and in in the earnings of these companies that wasn't really necessarily a good metric to extrapolate for the long term it was really more of like a one time benefit created by the pandemic and then in addition to that we saw interest rate increasing right so when you model uh, a technology company given that it's a long term investment you you would usually use a dcf model so it was a transformation input the d- discount rate is a key input of uh of the valuation model so as rates increase 
that's really where we've seen a lot of the downside in tech today. So I would say there is two main, main areas of downside. One has been just overinflated earnings and people not necessarily appreciating the underlying fundamentals. And the other, uh, the other area has been just uh, increasing in interest rates. So pretty much the entire tech sector is, uh, has been hard hit over the past year. And this is where we see the most opportunities. So for an investor like us, we like to invest in aggressive growth, right? So we're trying to find opportunities that are going to do the best over the long term. Dividend investing is not necessarily something that we do. That's really more of an asset allocation uh, decision, right? So it's somebody like, like an investment advisor should advise their clients based on their age, and their personal situation, whether they need more of an income and dividends or they need more of growth products. But we specifically only focus on on growth products. Thank you for saying that. And we totally agree. Going back to the industrial technology and, and kind of a slower moving opportunity going forward, without naming names of ideas that you like, because I'm sure compliance would not be happy if you did that. Can you talk about thematics? What type of themes you're seeing that you're focused on going forward? Yeah, so uh, we basically um, see a lot of opportunities in AI. That's been a theme that wasn't really, um, was really more of like a buzzword three to four years ago, but we're starting to see a lot of innovation uh, that's making a lot of these products available at scale. Metaverse is kind of a tangential opportunity to this, where we're seeing a lot of industrial companies now incorporate um, AI processes into their uh, into the way they run their businesses. So what we're going to see is, given that there is a lot of new innovation coming to the market, we're going to see AI become a main, uh, basically gain mainstream adoption uh, across across companies. So every company over the next next ten years will be using it in one uh, in one way or another. Another big opportunity set is digitalization. And what this means is companies will be upgrading their, um, the way they run their processes. So whether it's on the revenue generating side, how do you generate uh, opportunities, whether it's on product development side, which would be like, how do you come up and bring new products to market or the operation side, there is also a lot of opportunity to improve your procurement, improve your cost management, uh, improve your inventory management. So we see digital, basically company digitalization as a big, uh, uh, big opportunity set. So those are the two main themes. The third theme that, uh, that we are really focused on is uh, decarbonization. So we're going to see a lot more innovation coming to, um, coming to this market, whether it's through EVs or or, um, or hydrogen, uh, we think this is going to be another area of, uh, of, of significant innovation. It's so exciting to think about the next 10 years and how different it will look, right? <laughs> so, yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, we really believe like industrial technology is going to be where a lot of the value will be generated. So uh, there, it's just a very vast, uh, vast opportunity set. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And one of the areas that we've talked a lot about this year that's calmed down a little bit more recently, but it's still there is the is the issue with the supply chain. 
around the world. It's impacted the inflation numbers. How do you see the supply chain as it stands now and maybe, you know, continuing to the end of the year into next year? Well, we've seen the supply chain significantly improve once the narrative changed from uh, the Fed basically solving for inflation rather than a recession. So once the Fed started aggressively raising interest rates, that immediately started trickling through the economy. So we track a lot of data points on the ground. And if you look at spot track rates, they basically have started declining since March. So that's really when we saw the shift from value or the shift from growth underperforming to just the broader market going down and even value underperforming. So we believe the supply chain, like if you're a company today and if you're, if you're saying that you're facing supply chain challenges, that means something is wrong with your business model, right? So like by now you should have been able to adjust to the current supply and demand environment. So we don't see this being a meaningful driver of uh, of downside going forward. It's not really going to be dri- a big driver of the upside either as right. companies now have too much inventory. So they will need to be working through uh, these inventories to bring them back to normal. But the, the issue where like people couldn't get uh, enough components and couldn't get enough materials, that's already behind us given the step down in demand that we've seen. That's great. Thank you. And I, I have to say, when in in a world right now where we're we're all watching maybe too much news, you hear all this negativity. It's so great to talk to individuals such as yourself that have the pull. You know, you're, you're really focused on what's going on, and and you're actually optimistic, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's always really good to see. Any last thoughts in regards to how you're looking at these companies and the opportunities going forward that you'd like to share? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that while there is a lot of uncertainty and there is a lot of potential, like the next leg will probably be earnings downside for companies. I think investors should start to position on the offense and look for opportunities that will help them benefit in the long term. So usually these market pullbacks where you have the Nasdaq down 30%, S&P is still not down a lot compared to historical uh, like large pullbacks. So there is still maybe some downside in the near term. But these this, um, periods of time where you have such drastic pullbacks usually prove to be a great uh, time to be adding risk uh, for long-term investors. So um, that's basically what I would, uh, I would end it with. I love ending it there because that's what we try to that's what we try to convey all the time. So thank you so much for that comment. And where, where can people find you? So I recently joined Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Ivana Spear, and I'm on LinkedIn. And people can always find a lot of information on our website, post a lot of the research that we do. And uh, there's also like the prospectus and daily holdings uh, of the ETF disclosed there as well. That's great. Ivana, thank you so much for your insight and for your optimism. Thank you. Please note, The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security. It does not take into account any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor. The views expressed in this commentary are subject to change based on market and other conditions. 
These documents may contain certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking. Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance and actual results or developments may differ materially from those projected. Any projections, market outlooks, or estimates are based upon certain assumptions and should not be construed as indicative of actual events that will occur. The above targets are estimates based on certain assumptions and analysis made by the advisor. There is no guarantee that the estimates will be achieved. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee returns or eliminate risk in any market condition. Risk associated with equity investing includes stock values, which may fluctuate in response to the activities of individual companies and general market and economic conditions. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Women on Wealth by Women for Women. Stay up to date by subscribing to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, please visit www.principalwealthpartners.com or join us on Facebook and LinkedIn.